Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Nuss, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. In this edition, we're traveling to a realm of ancient volcanoes to visit what might be Oregon's most spectacular wildflower displays. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, David, today I am excited because we are going to talk about a very specific and very interesting region, typically known as the Old Cascades. Now, don't worry, we're going to dive into what exactly we mean by Old Cascades with a geology professor from Oregon State University a little bit later. But let's start here without Googling. David, do you have any idea what the Old Cascades means or what we're talking about? Sure. The Old Cascades is kind of a pocket of older hills created much earlier than the bigger mountain range we now know. We're referring to a collection of mountains near Tombstone Pass and Sanium Junction off of Highway 20, almost directly east of Salem and Albany. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, these are a collection of mountains that people often miss traveling to the more popular places, but they're very much worth exploring for a number of reasons. And that's particularly true this season. That's because, as we've covered in past podcasts, a huge swath of popular recreation areas from Salem all the way east to Opal Creek and Mount Jefferson are going to be closed this summer due to wildfire damage. Also, you need a new permit for a bunch of hikes in the Three Sisters, Jefferson, and Washington Wilderness areas. But here in the Old Cascades, everything is the same as it ever was. They're open. They're ready. It's a great season to visit them. Yeah, so we've talked a lot recently about this being a good summer to kind of expand your horizons, to try some new places, you know, especially when a lot of our sort of uh, places that are close to our heart are not going to be open this summer. The Old Cascades are a great option, and since they're so close to where the Lion's Head fire took off, it's also probably a place where you can get a good sort of look at that wildfire scar, which can be kind of informing. But beyond just the fact that they're open this year, why would you want to visit? Why go here? Yeah, we'll jump into the geology later, as I mentioned, but Old Cascades are basically the grandparents of the Young Cascades, like Mount Jefferson and Three Sisters, which are just across the valley. And the fact that you've got these ancient mountains butting up against young mountains, like that's just kind of a fun idea. The other cool thing to know about out here is that even though they're old, they're still impressively tall, like 5,000 to 6,000 foot high summits. They have a more ecologically diverse forest, including like what I believe are probably the best wildflower meadows in the entire state, or, you know, that's how I look at it. They also have my favorite type of tree, and that is the Alaska yellow cedar. So it sounds pretty good, but I don't think the old Cascades are one of those places, you know, you see on Instagram all the time. Does this kind of sort of qualify for a hidden gem status? I think it's fair to say that they're overlooked, but not quite secrets. So Iron Mountain in particular, that we'll talk about later, It's gotten pretty well known, and Coffin Mountain is becoming increasingly well known. But overall, they're very quiet compared to a lot of the areas nearby. Like when they were putting in the permit system, you would never think to need a permit for these hikes because you're only going to see a handful of people out there, even, you know, on peak days. So let's call them a diamond in the rough rather than a hidden gem. 
So is there a particular time of year that's better than another to go hike these mountains? Yeah, July is when you see the fireworks. Uh, that's when the wildflowers hit their peak and when these amazing meadows that I talked about are transformed into these carpets of purple, red, gold with these great views of the tallest mountains rising just above. So June, August, September, they'd be great for solitude, still great for mountain views um, and forest, but they're not going to have the same wildflower experience. So July is prime time. All right. Well, in this episode, we're going to talk about the best places to hike in the old Cascades. We'll also talk about the geology and visit with a mountaintop fire lookout. All totaled, we're going to cover about six hikes broken down into categories. You ready to go? Yeah. We haven't had categories since the early days of this podcast. Uh, so nerding out on geology and categories, I'm in heaven. <laughs> All right. So our first category is off the beaten track, sort of an award given to the hike that uh, maybe everybody forgets about in the old Cascades. What places are most overlooked? All right. So I've got two nominees and they are Echo Basin and Browder Ridge. I think I'm going to focus on Echo Basin a little bit more. So it's a sweet little three mile hike just off South Sanium Highway 20 near Tombstone Pass. It starts out on kind of a boring road, but then it reaches two really cool things. Uh, the first is a beautiful grove of, again, my favorite type of tree, the Alaska yellow cedars. They're just, they only grow in a handful of places in Oregon, as the name would suggest. But when you see them, they really stand out. They have this grayish white shaggy bark with almost like a golden hue to them. And that's before you even reach the official Echo Basin, which gets that name because it's in this rock cathedral where and I can't confirm if it echoes, but it feels like it might, like you're just wrapped in a coliseum of stone in there. And in July, there's like a little overgrown boardwalk trail that travels through this, you know, rock cathedral. And in July, it has a ton of wildflowers out there, all different types. So this is kind of my favorite overlooked spot in the old Cascades. I don't think I've any ever seen anybody else there. So what's your second pick for off the beaten track? Yeah, I hate to give it short shrift, but uh, the backup for kind of the most overlooked place is Browder Ridge. It has the three elements that we're going to talk about a lot with some of these old Cascade Peaks, and that is old growth forest starts, then a little mountain meadow with wildflowers, and then finally a summit with big sweeping views of everything from Jefferson to the Sisters to Hood. Browder Ridge is just a little scruffier, a little steeper, but it definitely rewards those who take the time. All right, so there's Echo Basin and Browder Ridge. And for directions and details, we have a story that brings all these hikes together in one place, including directions and GPS coordinates. It's called the Top 5 Hikes of the Old Cascades. It'll be linked in the article at statesandjournal.com slash explore. All right, our next category is Family Famous. This one's referring to one of the best-known hikes in the Old Cascades and a really a great place to bring the kids. What do you have for us here? The pick that I clearly got to go with here is Iron Mountain. It's very accessible right off Highway 20 East of Sweet Home. So people tend to know about it. It's definitely the best known of the old Cascade hikes. It's my pick for families because there's an upper trailhead that makes it a lot easier for younger kids to climb up to, you know, a major summit. And another big bonus is that you can really enjoy the view because there's a big platform with like rails around it. And that way you don't have to stress out about your four-year-old falling off a cliff, which is nice. If you're more ambitious, you can do a more challenging version of this hike that combines Iron Mountain and Cone Peak. And a lot of people feel that 
you know, that's, that's a really like top five Oregon hike because you get, you know, ton of wildflowers on that one, but however you do it, great spot. So we talked about this one on a previous podcast, but what makes it so famous? You know, for those who love wildflowers, it's a wonderland. You know, if you do the entire loop and it's possible to do eight miles, the trail travels through some of the most diverse wildflowers in the States, Cone Peak Meadows, which is stunning. Um, but, you know, overall, it just it's it's just dramatic. Um, big cliffs, big views, big wildflowers, and then, you know, the big uh, spot where you can hang out at the top. <laughs> So you gave us two options for how to tackle this one, challenging and then maybe an easier way. Tell us about the easy way. Yeah, so that begins at what's called the Civil Road Trailhead. Now, if you start there, you don't get quite as many wildflowers on this route, but you do get to the summit in just two miles with 700 feet of climb. So that's that's a lot easier than the other route, which starts all the way down on Highway 20. My daughter did the easier version of the hike when she had just turned four years old. So think of Iron Mountain in two ways, a much tougher but more spectacular adventure or the much easier but kid-friendly version. And at the top, as mentioned, there's this great wooden platform where you can that kind of points out all the Cascade Range volcanoes on the horizon and kind of, you know, little facts about them and stuff. So that's super cool. All right. So our next category uh, may strike some fear, may uh, be a little spooky, most terrifying name. So what sinister mountain peak are we headed to now? Well, the answer obviously has to be Coffin Mountain, which is, that's that's pretty good for a, a spooky name. And while there are some very steep cliffs uh, on the top that could potentially put you in a coffin, what actually gives it its name is the fact that it has a very distinct shape of a casket from a distance. That's particularly true from like Blowout Creek Valley, but even up close, it's pretty obvious. The, the top of the mountain just has this, you know, this ominous shape to it. Coffin Mountain has a couple of pretty unique things going on for it. And I think it's becoming, you know, a lot better known. What's turning it into a destination? Well, I think there's kind of two main reasons. One is that it's had some super blooms of bear grass that actually caught hold on social media and made people more aware of it. I know we mentioned that this that these mountains don't tend to show up on Instagram that much, but when there was like a massive bloom of bear grass on this mountain, it popped up all over the place because it was like the entire hillside was covered, you know, with those big puffy wildflowers that are pretty cool looking. Um, so that's that's a big deal. That's that's made it more popular recently. Second, Coffin Mountain is home to an active fire lookout, meaning it's staffed by the Forest Service. We actually did a story and video about a lookout named Ann Amundsen, who staffed the spot for 30 years. Now, she's since retired, but generally, if you're laid back and, and you're cool and you're not intrusive, it's fun to talk to the active fire lookouts out there. They might let you check it out. Here's a little audio from Anne where she's talking about what it's like to be an active fire lookout in this day and age and how she interacts with the public that comes to visit her at the top of Coffin Mountain. It's a lot of looking around. Officially, you only have to look around every 15 minutes. But I know the lookouts that I know, I think we spend a lot more time than that. I wake up in the middle of the night. That's the first thing you do is look around. That's what that's what you do. There's times when I'm like, I feel like I'm staring holes in the ground. And when one pops up, it's pretty obvious. you know. Yeah. But other times it's like, wow, I had one oh, eight years ago or so. It was on the state land and all it was was drift smoke came up, you know, above the furthest ridge. And then it was gone. And you start thinking, did I really see that? You know, I'm watching, watching. Nothing else came up. I'm like, I know I saw it. Like, 
call it in. Somebody needs to go check that out. And it was. It was a five-acre fire way out. So it's easy to second-guess yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I can remember one storm. I don't know what year. I'm sure it's in my journal um, where you heard thunder for, like, almost a whole minute after a strike. You know, it was just the most amazing rumble go on for the longest time. It was pretty cool. It's got to be cool watching, yeah. like, those storms, like, come in and, yeah. then, like... When they come overhead, and the safest place in this building is to be on the bed, which is great. And if it's going to be that close and I have to disconnect my radio, um, I just sit there with a pillow. <laughs> and uh, Because if you don't know where to look for lightning, it could happen any direction. And, and if you do look when it's a flash right in front of you, then you're blinded for seconds. Mm-hmm. So you don't know which way to look. So And then it's so loud and the building shakes and you just jump sort of thing. And it's just pretty exciting for how <laughs> long that is. So what, what's like the ideal scenario for like, you know, people who hike up here? Like, do you like them to come and just shoot the breeze with you for a little bit, but understand you're working? And Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's fine. And there's sometimes, you know, well, I'll answer some questions, but say I'm really busy with the radio right now or, you know, mm-hmm. and most lookouts I know are fine with that. Yeah. 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 Um, I do have people though that want to hang out Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I have people ask me for water. I just had a guy climb up on my deck while I was standing here to grab my wash basin. I was using to rinse my paintbrushes because yeah. he needed it for his dog. But I was thinking, well, you could have asked me. <laughs> you know, he just climbed up and grabbed it. I was kind of like, what are you doing? For the most part, everybody's fantastic. I mean, I have regular visitors now that come up and bring me chocolate every time they show up. You know? Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. All right, so bear grass, a lookout, and a spooky name. What about the hike? Yeah, it's a short and steep one. So from the trailhead, you climb 1,000 feet on a hike of just three miles round trip. So it's pretty steep, but it's so scenic the whole time that you don't mind. After the first stretch in the forest, you break out into a meadow where that bear grass sometimes goes bananas. And then, you know, the views of Mount Jefferson are sublime. And a little bit later, you reach the lookout. All right, so we've covered some great hikes so far in the old Cascades. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll have an interview with a geology professor from Oregon State University and Zach's two favorite hikes in the old Cascades. I'm Rob Freres of Freres Lumber Company. We are a family-owned wood products manufacturer and a member of the American Forest Resource Council. While steeped in tradition, we also are an industry leader in innovation and forest stewardship. The wood for our engineered wood and plywood products is harvested from sustainably managed forests within a 150-mile radius of our mill. At Freres, our forest management approach keeps forests healthy and resilient and our products keep carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Learn more about forestry solutions at amforest.org. All right, to gain some insight into what we're actually talking about when we say Old Cascades, we're joined by Adam Kent, a geology professor at Oregon State University. Adam, thanks for joining us to talk about rocks and mountains, one of our favorite topics to nerd out on here. 
Yeah, well, it's one of my favorite topics too. So thanks for asking me. <laughs> All right. So in a very general way, what does the phrase old Cascades or Western Cascades refer to? When we say that, what mountains are we actually talking about? Yeah, if we're talking about in, in geological terms, we're talking about the mountains that sort of lie to the west of, um, let me see, at the latitude of Corvallis, where I am, west of about Tombstone Summit um, or Tombstone Pass. So so there are a series of sort of older, you know, typically lower mountains than the, the high Cascade Peaks that we're all familiar with. Uh, and they sort of lie between that Tombstone Pass area. I mean, where, where the actual boundary is is probably a little bit fuzzy, um, but they sort of extend to the west to the to the Willamette Valley. You know, they kind of blend into the Willamette Valley foothills and eventually into the Willamette Valley. So, th so that's the area that that I think of when I think of the West Cascades. But that's also the old Cascades. Gotcha. So, how did the old Cascades contrast with the young or high Cascades? Like, so how are they different from mountains like Hood or Jefferson or the Three Sisters? Yeah. So, so to to, we, to do that, we're going to have to plumb back into a little bit of uh, Oregon's geologic history, and really to understand that, we also have to consider the sort of the plate tectonics situation. So, we have this thing called the subducting plate, which is a a plate of ocean crust which is being pushed underneath Oregon. And that, as that plate goes down, um, it heats up, it gives off some water and other goodies, and that causes the, the mantle above it to melt. Those melts move upwards and they become a volcano. So, so that is happening right now beneath sort of South Sister, Mount Hood, uh, Jefferson. And the reason th those volcanoes are all roughly in a line is because the, the plate boundary is also a line. Uh, we, we have volcanoes forming all up and down that related to that plate boundary. Now, those volcanoes have only been in that current position for about five to eight million years. And if we step back a little bit before that, between say five to eight back to 22, 25 million years, instead of having the Mount Hoods and the Mount Jeffersons and the Three Sisters today, the Western Cascades was where that, what we call a volcanic arc, or that was where that string of volcanoes was. So basically the Western Cascades are, the, are an older part of the volcanism. You know, the modern aspect of that is what we see at Mount Hood. But if we step back in time, the older part of that actually produced the Western Cascades between about, you know, five to eight and 20, 22 million years ago, something like that. Gotcha. So, I mean, what we're thinking of as the Western or Old Cascades, they're basically ancient kind of old extinct volcanoes, correct? Exactly. They're, they're ancient extinct volcanoes, um, you know, and, and they've, they've had time to wear down. So we don't have the high peaks like we do uh, along the, the modern Cascades. And, and, an, and another thing, you know, the modern Cascades, places like Mount Hood, but even central Oregon, the topography, so the shape of the, the land surface there is what we call constructional. It's actually being built by volcanic rocks being put on the surface of the earth. So if you think about particularly places like Mackenzie Pass, which people have been, you know, there's there's pretty young lava flows there and they're dictating the shape of the, the earth's surface. And, it's, and the earth's surface is being built up by lava flows, you know, flowing on top of one another. So they're sort of constructing topography. Once that volcanism stops, erosion takes over. So if we then go over to the western or the olden cascades, the topography there is not being controlled by volcanic rocks being added to the top. It's being controlled by all those rocks being eroded by river valleys. So sort of the topography there is also a lot different. So, so the rocks are older, but the topography is sort of different because it's being uh, really governed by erosion, not governed by volcanic process building up the land. Gotcha. Do we have a good understanding of why the mountains between the Willamette Valley and the High Cascades have developed like this? Like, what's going on that's caused 
um, the mountains to move sort of from one place to another place and kind of creep uh, eastward? Really good question. So there's a couple ideas I can tell you. And, and probably the favorite one is, you know, uh, an interesting thing that many people listening may not realize, but, you know, plate tectonics is a theory that says the Earth's outer surface is made of a series of rigid plates and those plates sort of jostle each other in, in various ways. You know, and we're sitting, we're all sitting on the North American plate. And, and so the idea is the North American plate is a big rigid plate, um, but actually in detail, it's not that rigid. So Western Oregon, for instance, is a block within that North American plate that's actually moving. And, and Western Oregon is rotating uh, clockwise, and it's been doing that for at least the last 30 or 40 million years. And the reason I'm telling you this is um, one, one suggestion for why the Western Cascades and the modern Cascades are in different locations is because that Western Oregon plate has rotated enough to move the older cascades away from the region where volcanoes occur sort of uh, and further to the west. So, so that's one idea. One idea is that just the, the upper plate is actually rotating around and somewhere between five and 20 million years ago where the western cascades were now, that's where the, the volcanoes were forming, but that sort of area has rotated off and now we have newer volcanoes forming in a slightly different area. So that's probably the reason that, that most geologists believe. Another, another possibility is that the again, comes down to plate tectonics. You know, there's a there's a plate, the oceanic plate is being pushed beneath Oregon and that's what gives rise to our volcanoes. That plate is actually dipping and, and being pushed down into the deeper part of the Earth's mantle. And and where the volcanoes actually occur with respect to that boundary depends a little on the, the how steeply that plate dips. So if the, the dip of that plate has changed with time, it could also control the locations where volcanoes appear at the surface. And so what we might, if, if this idea is correct, what we might be looking at is a time when the plate was dipping at a different angle than it is uh, today. So there's sort of two ideas there. Really interesting, man. Just so much going on below the surface that I feel like we take for granted. Yeah. yeah. So jumping back into the, the mountains, I mean, what are some of the main things that distinguish the, the older Western Cascades from the young Cascades? Like what's the difference in age and size? Yeah, well, the mount. I mean, most people who've probably hiked around there realize the peaks aren't as high. You know, probably the, the highest peaks are, I, I don't know, sort of Iron Mountain. What is that? Maybe 5,000 feet or something. Maybe you know that better than me. So the, the peaks aren't that high because erosion has a, had a chance to really tear them down. You know, f five million years is a long time in a climate like Western Oregon where it rains like crazy. Um, the peaks don't get as high. Um, also, I think another another big factor, and this is partly geology, but also partly sort of climatology and, and biology, is that because of the way that rainfall works in Western Oregon, you know, the Western Cascades or the, the older Cascades get a huge amount of rainfall. And then the, the sort of the clouds push from west to east and they're pushed up on the Western Cascades. And so they dump a lot of rain, sort of orographic rain. Um, and eventually that dies out. So by the time you get further to the east, the, the precipitation rates are lower and and one really good example of this is if you look at Black Butte, which is a volcano, you know, small volcano just outside of Sisters has a beautiful cone shape. Now that volcano is is uh, roughly the same age as Three Finger Jack, which has been eroded like crazy. And the difference is it's further to the east, it has less precipitation, so it didn't have glaciers on it eroding it. So if you go even further to the to the west, um, into the Western Cascades, you know, there's just a lot more erosion happening there. So I think one of the big differences is the amount of rainfall which leads to very big uh, differences in the amount of erosion. There's also not young volcanoes forming, so we're not rebuilding the topography. 
and the other thing that's very different, which is not really in the realm of geology, is that there's the the sort of ecologically, it's a lot different because just the precipitation is so much more intense. You know, you have Douglas fir dominated forest, sort of wet forest, and then you move into sort of the ponderosa and uh, juniper as you head east as the as rainfall gets less and you move into sort of the rain shadow. Yeah, and that's one one thing that's always struck me about the old Cascades is that they seem a lot more biodiverse. Like there's a lot more different types of trees and plants and flowers. And is that probably a product of just having more rain and more time to kind of build up that that layer of uh, uh, soil and stuff I, i'd say yeah i mean it, i'm not a huge expert on that but that would be my uh, that's how i understand it there's a lot more rain they're older so there are chances to build up soil profiles and then also you don't have events like lava flows coming along every now and then that completely reset the local you know hydrology and biology again you know mckenzie pass if you've been there that those lava flows have pretty much completely you know destroyed the local ecology and will eventually regrow but it takes some time, whereas the Western Cascades, that's no longer happening. So so they're weathering deeply. They have a lot of rain. I guess I don't know if they're more diverse or not, but they're certainly ecologically a lot different. Yeah. Okay, so the area that we're talking about, which kind of centers on Iron Mountain, Browder Ridge, Crescent Mountain, around Tombstone Pass and Sanium Pass, I think at one point you told me they're sort of a special subset of the old Cascades that maybe aren't as old as some of the mountains, but are certainly older than the young Cascades. So can you break that out a little bit? Yeah, if you look at the ages of rocks, um, and the age is basically in a volcanic rock is the age at which it emerged onto the surface of the Earth and cooled down. So so the oldest rocks in the, in the older Cascades or the Western Cascades are on the far western edge of the Willamette Valley, you know, like around Sweet Home or places like that, um, Sio. And they're about 22, 25 million years, depending on exactly which one you grab. And they get progressively younger. So by the time you get to Iron Mountain, rocks are at the five to eight million year range. So, so the Tombstone Summit area, you know, as, as the Western or the older Cascades go, is, is a sort of a younger part of that. Yeah, and that manifests itself in them being a little bit higher than some of the areas. I mean, when you're getting up to 5,000, 6,000 feet, like it still feels like a significant mountain but then, of course, you look across the valley and it's like half as tall as like the Young Cascades. Yeah, d- definitely. I mean, I think if you, you're at Tombstone and you look across and you ignore the like the bigger peaks, you, you're not far off the elevation of all the peaks that the, the big volcanoes sit on. You know, you're sort of up to that 5,000 foot elevation, something like that. But that, that, that's definitely true. And, you know, there is a general increase in elevation, again, from west to east as you go into the, the Western Cascades. Gotcha. So I was trying to think of like a human analogy for for this kind of thing. So, I mean, would this subset of the old Cascades be kind of like a 50 or 60 year old who's like lived a pretty long life, you know, seen some things, maybe raised some kids, but they're still young enough to kind of get out there a little bit. They're not quite as old. Given that I'm in that demographic, I'll go with a yes. I think that's, <laughs> that's I think that's good. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else we should know about the uh, old Cascades or Western Cascades in general? I, I think that's the basic story. You know, I really like them because I, in some sense, the, the older mountains are a little more interesting. You know, there's a lot more topographic nooks and crannies in, in the older Cascades. All right. Well, that is Adam Kent. He is a geology professor at Oregon State University. You can actually follow him on Twitter at, at GeoWhateverist and or his website, MountHoodResearch.org. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Anytime. Happy to talk. All right. After that geology lesson, let's jump back into the categories. Zach, what's your favorite place to get high in the old Cascades? Yes, indeed. This is, of course, the category where we talk about getting high on a mountain. 
as opposed to other methods. And one of my favorite places to get some elevation is actually the Three Pyramids, which has the wonderful coincidence of looking directly across the way at the Three Sisters. So North, Middle, and South Pyramid are almost exactly half as tall as North, Middle, and South Sister, but they're only visited by a fraction of the people. So there are pretty different hikes compared to each of the sisters. Is there a favorite pyramid for climbing? Yeah, the main trail goes up Middle Pyramid, and that goes up to a viewpoint that used to be a fire lookout. And the hike overall is fantastic. It's my second favorite in the Old Cascades. You begin in old growth forest that's, that's very dense and very pretty. Then you climb into another really beautiful cliff-walled meadow filled with wildflowers in July that is actually kind of a small version of Echo Basin that we talked about earlier. From there, you continue up a sometimes raggedy trail that can have snow kind of late in the season until you get to a steep little spot and, you know, turn right out onto Middle Pyramid Summit. Can get confusing up there, but if you kind of veer to the right, you'll find it. I said this was my favorite place to get high, and the reason is that the top of this summit, it's just kind of this flat-as-a-pancake little pins needle, like there's cliffs just dropping away very steeply in every direction. Uh, so it feels like you're kind of on like an elevated tabletop. Uh, it's one of those places that, you know, really makes you appreciate Iron Mountain where they built that, you know, that, that area for kids because here it's, it's a little dicey. Like you want to hold on to your four-year-old if they're up there with you um, or clumsy adults for that matter. Is this the, <laughs> is this the tallest of the old Cascade mounds we're talking about? Uh, nope. Coffin Mountain and nearby Bachelor Mountain are just a shade under 6,000 feet. Uh, so they're the tallest in this grouping. Middle Pyramid is 5,600 feet tall, so just a little bit shorter. But again, the summit just feels a little bit taller. So what's the mileage and climb for Middle Pyramid? Yeah, so the final tally is four miles round trip with 1,800 feet of climb. So continuing the trend here of kind of short but fairly steep hikes. All right, so we've got time for one more hike. What's your pick for the best of the best? All right, so my final pick here is Crescent Mountain. And the reason that I'm picking it is that it is everything that we've been talking about. Old growth forest, wildflower meadow, and then a knockout summit. But the thing about Crescent is that it has all these elements like on a grander scale, particularly the huge sweeping alpine meadow that seems to go on forever. We mentioned Crescent Mountain in a past podcast with a hike organ owner and guidebook author, Franziska Weinheimer. And we kind of debated about whether Crescent Mountain or Canyon Creek Meadows were the most spectacular in the state. Like which one is the best between those two? All right, let's take a listen. For sheer scenery, I'm curious, which one is tops for you? Because I would go back, back and forth. These are my two favorite wildflower meadows. But which one would you pick as number Well, one? okay. So for scenery, I think Canyon Creek is better. Yeah. But for wildflowers, Crescent is better because there is more of a variety in mm -hmm. of wildflowers at Crescent. Um, yeah. Canyon Creek, you know, has a lot of lupin and just up to like five or so wildflowers that you see a lot of, whereas Crescent Mountain has an explosion of color mm -hmm. um, up there. And I would say for wildflowers, Crescent is probably better. So it's also a longer hike, right? It's one of the longest hikes in the old Cascades, actually at nine miles round trip with 2,200 feet of climb. You need to be in pretty good shape for this one, but it's really worth it. 
The hike begins with a long forested trek through gigantic Douglas fir and hemlock, climbing steeply uphill for three miles. Just as you're getting really tired and, you know, kind of sick of it, the forest opens up to a meadow that seems to stretch on forever and it is filled with wildflowers. There's actually uh, a lower and an upper meadow, but that hike doesn't actually end there. Past the meadows, you get back into the forest and keep climbing until you reach a knockout summit with views of every major Cascade Peak from Mount Adams in Washington all the way down to Diamond Peak in Southern Oregon. It's just a huge sweeping view. Another fun thing about Crescent Mountain is that it's shaped like a crescent, kind of a, a big C. And so you can kind of explore around on the top and make your way to some interesting spots away from the main summit area. On Crescent Mountain, everything is just a little bigger. Big hike, big wildflowers, big summit. And that's why it's my favorite hike in this realm of ancient volcanoes that we know as the Old Cascades. Well, that about does it for this podcast. Any places in the Old Cascades you want to mention before we sign off? Yeah, I do want to mention one thing. Most of the routes that I, we mentioned today are day hikes, and that's by design. But there is a route that's becoming increasingly well known for trail running, backpacking, and mountain biking. And that's called the Cascade Crest Loop. It's sometimes dubbed the Pyramid Epic Loop by mountain bikers. But it's a collection of 29 miles of trail linking North Pyramid and the Pyramid Trails, South Pyramid Creek, Chimney Peak, Gordon Peak, a whole bunch of major peaks in the Old Cascades. It's a pretty darn tough route with a total climb of over 8,000 feet, which, wow, you got to be in good shape for that. And speaking of being in good shape, there's actually a trail race taking place out there this June that tackles this route in the old Cascades. So whether you're biking, running, or backpacking, if you want to spend a few more days out there or get in a few more miles on the trail, I haven't done this route myself, but it's worth checking out. And I've been told that the right word is burly. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for in this episode of the Explore Oregon podcast. We hope you like what you heard. As always, if you haven't yet subscribed, check us out, statesmanjournal.com slash explore. You can find old episodes, maybe some new ideas for great outdoor adventures. We'd like to thank our sponsor, American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for the environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org. Thanks for listening.